right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. Please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice if you have not already. Five star reviews only. And subscribe on YouTube as well. Brendan, we have a lot of playoff stuff to get to today. But we need to start with some James Harden news. Uh, Woj on his podcast has said again that there is some James Harden to Houston smoke. Philly is up 3-0. We'll talk about that series briefly later. But we're at the point with this Harden stuff where it feels like so real to me that it's either a leverage play from him to get the most money from Philly or he really just wants to go to Houston. Where are you at with this? It hasn't changed much for me, um, to be completely honest with you. I feel like it makes sense for neither side. James Harden... um, is in a winning situation right now. It feels like, honestly, one of the biggest limiting factors of that winning situation is his leg and whether he's healthy and his hamstrings can make it for 80 to 100 games per year. That doesn't seem to be true anymore. Um, But if he wants to win, this seems to be the best place to do it. He also has a player option, so it's not even a given that he hits free agency. I would personally just take that and continue to win with the 2023 MVP on my team. Maybe there's some sort of longer-term security that Houston can provide for him. Obviously, the the comfort and everything, I get that. I get why Houston feels right for him. It was only two and a half years ago that he thought it felt wrong for him, but setting that aside, I get it. I understand. I, I know what would draw him there, but it doesn't make sense for him, in my opinion, um, and it doesn't make sense for the Rockets for a lot of reasons that are, are pretty obvious. This is a rebuilding team. They would jumpstart things, Uh, with signing him, but certainly not in a way that gets them closer to a long-term viable championship path. And so I don't understand why this continues to linger outside of maybe there's a feeling in Harden's camp that he doesn't have a a pathway to getting a huge contract from the 76ers. And so he wants to play this game and sort of leverage them into that. I don't know if he's going to win that staring contest with Daryl Morey, but Either way, I hope this doesn't actually happen because I want the Rockets to build something sustainable. I root for that for every team, and I want Harden to to keep being in a place that that he's going to get closer to winning a ring, which I would still like to see him do. Yeah, Kelly Iko from The Athletic has also reported that Houston will interview Sam Cassell for the head coaching position there uh, over the weekend. Cassell is with Philly right now. So he's been working with Harden in Philadelphia. Yeah. That was also just like a, a kind of buzzer going off. I I'm, I think for me, Brennan, the way I think about this more than anything else is that I just don't like this for Philly. Or excuse me, for Houston. I, I just, I, I don't understand James Harden and Jalen Green. I don't understand trying to build the defensive spine with James Harden, Jalen Green, and Alperin Sengun. I, I don't understand like what this is doing other than like, being Wizards, Texas. Like, yeah, they don't care about this? that stuff, right? I you mean, if, if they were to go through with this, it, it wouldn't be for any of that reason. It would be, we don't have the stomach to be bad for as long as it's going to take us to be bad in order to eventually be good. And that's fine. And they, but, but the that's thing what's is, happening. They that's what like kind of did the bad. They did, they did the bad thing. They got Jalen Green. They got Zangoon. They 
got Jabari Smith. Like they've they've theoretically supposed to have done some of the bad stuff now, and they're just left with like no culture, no structure. Like I don't. But I mean, they have a the pick coming this year, and I think it's possible that they could be good without Harden next year or better, right? That, but that's my point. It's like, why are they the Harden thing feels like rushing it, and the Cassell the Cassell hire independently makes a sense to me. This is a well respected assistant. This is a former player. This is kind of a, a different move away from what uh, Steven Silas seemed to be, and I like that. But I think the Harden part of this just continues to confound me. But it's something that if we're looking ahead to the summer a little bit and peeking ahead, this is one of those things that absolutely just matters for us in terms of where the summer is going. As weird as that is. And and odd to say, it, it's just this is part of the reality of where this NBA summer is going. Is that what James Harden does is going to impact Philly. It's going to impact Houston. It could impact other potential superstars if Philly has to go get someone else. Does Houston go chase other veterans and overpay there? Like, there's just a lot of domino effects. I feel like it's going to come out of Harden. Like, this is probably the biggest name player that can move in the summer. Correct? Yeah, I think so. Um, as far as free agents definitely i mean you know you're talking about aside from harden it's chris middleton and players like that um i've been pretty happy to 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 pull it back to thursday night a bit uh with how harden was able to play in this game he got uh ejected which was weird for a, a obviously like a hit to a you know the crotch and and obviously you know sports likes to punish players who do that but like all things considered not that violent of a play but it was nice to see him make some twos he was five of eight on his twos in this game, four assists, just two turnovers, and the Sixers were able to take care of business. So if they keep trending in that direction, I feel like it would just be a stupid, heavily criticized thing to do to leave that situation. Let's say they make it to the next round and, and compete with Boston. It would be uh, crazy to see him leave that, but he's done some crazy stuff, so you never know. Yeah, and look, they're going to beat Brooklyn they're up 3-0 they're gonna advance he's gonna get time to maybe get that hamstring a little bit of work before round two you would think yep I don't have a ton else to say about that series other than Philly is definitely better and Jock Vaughn is doing a really good job coaching Brooklyn they're just not making enough threes and that game got a little bit weirdly chippy between Claxton and Embiid and the, the hardened nut tap like all that stuff was like a little bit much I Harden just fascinates me. I have no idea what he thinks or what he values, and he's like the opposite Money, of Durant, which is fine. But yeah, that seems to be like, what what it, at least right now at this point in his career is motivating him. I mean, he was at a point in his career for a while there where it was a no brainer. You pay him the absolute most you possibly can. He's evolved past that because his injuries and conditioning and play style have made it so that he can't just automatically be a yes for that. And he's older, right? But um, if it's money, it's money. But like I'm saying, I, I think the bald face part of all of this is like, if the Rockets do this, if Harden does that, it will be incredibly revealing about what they prioritize. And in neither case, on neither side, will it be winning? Bingo. We're on the same page. All right, let's move on to another team that I don't think know if they really value winning. That's the Washington Wizards. So to their credit, they did they did relieve Tommy Shepard, their president of basketball operations, of his duty. Uh, owner Ted Leonsis in a statement said, quote, failure to make the playoffs the last few seasons was very disappointing to our organization and our fans. Amen. So this the, this is where I, well, but here's the thing. You say that, like, yes, that is true. I, I'm sure, like, the fans would like to make the playoffs. Like, that is more fun. 
but this just feels like you're and obviously the, the Beal situation hampers this like there's the signaling for months that they're going to pay Porzingis and they're going to pay Kuzma and just kind of run it back for a team that didn't make the play in tournament has kind of been writing on the wall Wes until juniors keeping his job okay don't really care about that one way or the other so this statement just feels like they are not going to blow it up, which is what they should have done years ago. And they just keep doubling down on this. I, d- I never don't understand to. what this actually, no, but this is the thing. I don't understand. Like, this is where I just perpetually aim with the Washington Wizards. I don't understand what they're trying to accomplish by just shuffling chairs around and spending a boatload of money. If you're Ted Leonsis, who is like a rich person, but not like one of these mega rich people, I don't understand how you're like, you know what? I love, so- I-, I can't wait to give Kyle Kuzma like, a boatload of money. I can wait for Porzingis to get like thirty-six million a year for four years. Well, what do you mean by spending a boatload of money? I mean, they're they're not like in the tax. They're just paying but for it, a team. Bradley Beal. I mean, have you? It's just look at Bradley Beal's contract. Look at like, but it's like you're 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 committing a like this is millions upon millions upon millions of dollars for a team that didn't make the play in tournament. That's a to me that's a boatload of money. If I'm at least spending that, I want at least be able to like hang up a crappy banner in my arena and be like. Hey, like, look, we made the playing tournament two years in a row or something. But what, that's not what they're getting here. What is cap space going to get the Wizards? You know, it's like they've been, they've made these trades for expensive players like Porzingis and Kuzma and even like Barton and Morris this past year and and whoever you want to to point to because they're not going to sign anybody if they if they did have space. I'm not really worried. I mean, the Beal contract is was crazy because they didn't have to do it. They gave him a player option and uh, it, he's just fallen off as a player. That's the bigger problem to me. I, I don't feel like the contracts or anything like that are particularly egregious. To me, the the thing is like I, I've I, unless you find a way to change the owner, which is not not going to happen uh, unless Baxter Holmes sniffs something out. Um, the Wizards, Saudi Arabia buys the Wizards. Yeah, the Wizards are going to be in the middle forever unless they go above the middle. They're not going to allow themselves to go below the middle. And so where I look as as what an but executive, they are below them. They are below the middle. I think they're below the middle. That's where I'm at with this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do think that's probably what the, like, that's the Beal contract, right? You're, you are paying a player to be your best player who is not good enough to be the best player on a even middling team, let alone good or great team. And so I, I think that's a huge problem. And I don't know if the next executive is necessarily going to solve that because I think trading him now to me is trading him at, at sort of bottom value. I think he's had two really disappointing seasons back to back here and uh, is not really giving them a big return. I mean, it'll be a big return. It won't be Donovan Mitchell or anything, you know, um, it definitely won't be Kevin Durant level return, but with that all in mind, I feel like that one quick, easier thing that they can try to put resources toward is just drafting and developing. Like, here's their pass. Here are not their pass for the four total draft picks that Tommy Shepard made. Rui Hachimura, who they just traded before he was about to hit restricted free agency. Denny Avdia, Corey Kispert, and Johnny Davis. Those four players, Chris, have a combined 18.7 career win shares. Do you know how many win shares Nikola Jokic had this season? 14.9. A lot more than that. No, it was less. Yeah. But you're talking about four players with a combined like 10 years of experience or eight years of experience, whatever it is, compared to one season of Jokic. And it's it's almost equal. And so you like the funny thing to me is like being in the middle, being whatever we want to call what they're at, the, the top of the bottom or whatever it is like that should theoretically give your 
prospects a good opportunity to develop, right? Because you're you're at least theoretically trying to win, being competitive. You have veterans on your team. You're not tanking. That should give those guys an opportunity to at least add skills in a real winning environment. And they haven't even been able to do that because I honestly just think they're drafting players who aren't that great. I think Kispert might, you know, be something over time. Avdia is seems to be mostly just a defensive player right now. Those are fine guys. Rui's playing well on the Lakers, but if you just draft better, they're getting these top 10 picks. You would think a better drafting and development system by a different executive would at least give them more young talent that maybe they can then trade for some of those veterans because they're not going to get free agents or maybe one of those guys really pops and becomes that star. I mean, that's they got Beal at three. They got Wall at one because they allowed themselves to get bad enough to do that. If you're not going to, you at least have to hit on the guys that you are drafting, and they've not done that. He was really 0 of 4 in his time here. So that's the, that's where I would go with the next executive, somebody who has that scouting background and who you think can pick somebody good at 8, 9, 10, 11. I think I'd really also rather just like have the cap space to like absorb for future picks and just be like, yeah, there's no there's no good way out of this. There's just there, and that doesn't seem like they're what they're going to do. There's just like a path. There, there is a template for how the Wizards can fix this or at least have a better chance at fixing this. And they just refused to take it over and over and over again. Yeah. Tommy Shepard wasn't going to do anything about list. that, though. I mean, right. And that, that's a Ted Leonsis. No, problem. right. Yeah, I think it's just like it's like a and look, he's been there. He was there for a long time before he even got this job. Um, They should also just keep the pink jerseys forever is my is my another Wizards take. Those should just be like a, a permanent jersey. It's funny that Washington, Washington, D.C. has right. like a, a copyright on uh, cherry blossoms because those grow like all over the East Coast. And somehow D.C. is like, that's our flower. That's our thing because we have them in like the most like high profile American landmarks that there are. So therefore, it's our flower. I don't know. It's funny. Like I was in New York. They have them there. Why does why does DC get that? I don't know. Separate conversation for a different time. The Warriors flower jerseys suck. I'll say that too. Yeah, there's a lot of really bad jerseys in the NBA. It's, it's a, a broad conversation that we could we could have in the summer. Uh, Brennan, let's move on to the actual good basketball teams. I apologize to to everyone out there who I was like, you know, what, let's open with James Harden, who's who's on a good basketball team and all this stuff. But um, I want to start with the game that just ended. That's the Suns and the Clippers. Look, I, I there are two there are two big things I think that to me come out of this game. Number one, I think this series is really going to be shaped going forward by what happens with Kawhi, and he doesn't play in Game Three. This the Clippers are outmatched without Kawhi. He was ninety to me like ninety percent of the reason those first two games are so competitive. He was I think arguably the best player on the floor in those games as a two way player. Just everything he did was was monstrous. Secondly, Devin Booker. Didn't have to do a lot of work at the free throw line. He dissected every single thing defensively the Clippers threw at him at this game. What a performance. What a playoff player. Um, my Every time I watch him in extended chunks, and you watch him day to day, so you know this even better than me, can speak to this better than me, I come away just blown away by that guy's scoring ability and his ability just to be like <laughs> the best offensive player on the floor in a, in a game that has Kevin Durant on it like he was just like the best player on the floor in this game and it was just awesome had another 40 point playoff game yeah that dude is just a bucket and there, there's no defense that really feels like he can you can throw at him right now unless it's just like Kawhi locked in every possession or something like that that's really going to give him a real challenge let me throw this take at you um because you brought booker up 
and it is the place to start. He was he was excellent. He's been excellent in games two and three. Um, I was texting this with a, a friend who also lives in Phoenix and kind of watches him day to day, but I want to hear what you think because I feel like it'll be a little more shocking to somebody who doesn't. Okay. Besides being seven feet tall, which is a massive advantage and and is the reason that there is a difference. I don't think there's that much difference right now between the level that Devin Booker at, is at and the level that Kevin Durant is at. Aside from the fact that Durant can go get a bucket at any point because he is taller than everybody and is and has long arms and and everything else and he's, you know, for that reason a probably a better three-point shooter, better bucket creator for himself in like a do or die, you know, last second shot type of situation, but in terms of skill, defense manipulation, um, you know, IQ and reading what the the defense is is giving. I think that they are actually pretty similar. Is that crazy? I, I think they're cut from similar cloths, right? Like I, I think that is similar. I think they're like there are some differences, and then I think Booker is a little more bruising. Like his drives are like physical, whereas Durant's are a little bit like I'm seven feet tall. There's nothing you can do about this, right? And like you know, his handle is going to be a little different because he Booker shorter. Like that's going to be an advantage. But I think they're cut from the same cloth. And like these guys are just like process oriented scorers who can do a lot of different things. I would I think the the biggest difference I'd have Durant. You tell me if this is maybe this is like wrong even. But I think Durant's malleability is kind of what really separates them for me. Like in terms of just like I think you could put Durant in any situation, and I don't think there's like an acclimation period. I think you could put Booker different spots, and there would be like an adjustment period that that to me yeah is like but in the, the playoffs right there the situation that they're both going to be in is give them the ball and try to have them beat the other team right and so it's like in that yes. capacity i think that i mean booker's been the guy who's really been the difference for for the Suns, and duran is on this team you know and and like it kind of is happening before our eyes in a way I hear you in terms of like value and and why Durant has been able to be so special yeah. over the course of his career. But I'm just talking right now, if I'm giving the ball to one of those guys outside of the fact that Durant is going to be able to get his shot off more easily. I think that the level of processing and decision-making and efficiency that they're both at is, is actually pretty similar. And I just don't think Booker's thought of that way. I mean, we're talking about Durant, you know, that's like a top 15, 20 overall NBA player in history. And Booker is, if you ever said that about him, it would sound insane. But at this point in each of their careers, as Booker enters his prime and Durant is on the tail end of it, um, they're right there. And I think they're the best duo in the league. But um, big picture with this series, Chris, um, a lot well, of it. I, I have one yeah. more. I have, wait, 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 one more Booker thing. I want to compare him to Donovan Mitchell for a second. And one thing I think that I think separates Booker as a player, I would pick over Mitchell. I think Mitchell is like sometimes a little too reliant on the fact that he's like a really good athlete yeah, and can explode and can create and has these physical advantages. Booker to me, when you watch how he creates and you watch how he can dribble in from the top of the key and from the free throw line, it is like the, the, the physicality and the athleticism is like used as like a bonus on top of his footwork and on top of like how he sets everything up. Whereas Mitchell, it's like, I'm going to use this to get me there, right? I think that's like one of the big differences. There's like a deep level of not that Mitchell isn't crafty. Like I'm not that's not what I'm trying to say because he has a he has a bag, okay? As the kids would say. 
but Booker is like this like kind of old school, more old school like processy kind of like ISO score. He is like a throwback to some degree in that sense. Yeah. Like one of my favorite Kobe actions guy. in the entire league to watch is I he's a Kobe guy. But one of the things I remember I texted you before we were doing the show was like I love those Booker sets where that he gets them off the top of the key and they either set a screen or let him just kind of go ISO from there after he kind of it's like either elevator doors or they set like an off ball screen. I just love when they let him kind of like meander his way in and like footwork his way to stuff. And then he also can explode and get out on the break and do all this stuff. Like he is like a very just complete physical player. And it's like, I'm like, I have the hot, the highlights of this game, Rob, I'm watching him like finish through contact against Terrence man, just totally under control of everything. That is where I think him, like him and Durant just never feel like they're out of control. They never feel like they are, or wait, wasting time. That that to me is where I would say there's I mean, that that to me is like if I'm like picking like if you're gonna say like okay how does Booker stack up against other shooting guards in the league that's where I think his differentiator. Well, he's the it's best. Like all one. these guys could go get fifty. <laughs> yeah, that's how he stacks up. Right, uh, but I'm no, I hear you. But, uh, but no, I'm you're saying, I'm saying right. if you're gonna separate, if you're gonna separate it, like it's that that is the separate from him like over Mitchell and Clay and Beal and like all the young guys like that that is the separator. Yeah, it's kind of funny, honestly. There was a debate. I mean, Suns fans have a chip on their shoulder about Booker disrespect, which I hope is going away for these these Phoenix folk because he uh, is certainly well-respected at this point. But at, at, at one time, because Mitchell and, and Jamal Murray actually being this the other guy who was in that conversation for a while, those two got to go to the playoffs right away. And there was always this conversation about which of those three was the best one, which had the better future. I think Booker has risen to the top of that group, but... Um, it is a lot for the reasons that you said. I, I kind of think of it as like, it's really what what we mean when we talk about a three-level scorer, right? It's the fact that being able to genuinely create a shot at all three levels of the court from deep, from mid-range, and at the basket makes you impossible to be predicted. It makes it impossible for a defender to match what you're doing. And that's why Booker has ex- improved to this point where at a certain time, the physical strong two guards Lou Dort Dylan Brooks those guys would be you could almost just circle it on the calendar they were going to give him trouble those games were going to be his weaker games nobody can stop him now because uh he he has developed a game that they don't know where he's going only he does that footwork is there to match it and the processing of the game is great there was two possessions late in this game where Booker the, the Clippers went small when the Suns were just, you know, trying to move the ball, create threes, run their normal 0.5 offense of just, you know, read and react. They were getting shots, but the Clippers were were out there contesting because they had like nobody taller than like six, seven on the court. And they were just flying around and, and, and rotating well and everything else. Booker puts the ball in his hands and gets to the basket with purpose twice because they had no rim protectors in the game. And that type of processing and the ability to, to make it happen is just, it, it's what separates the elite from, you know, the good. And, and he really has that. But um, what I was going to say, big picture on this series, Chris, is I, I think largely it's going how I thought. The Suns are messing around a little bit, but I just felt like, you know, they didn't even have Kawhi tonight, which is a testament to those other players. But originally going in, not knowing Paul George wasn't going to play, knowing the Suns had Durant and everything else. I felt like they were going to win, you know, five, uh, go it five or six games and, and win four of them pretty close. Right. But the talking point about this team has been the depth and we can talk about the depth. It's not been great. Chris Paul and Deandre Ayton right now are nowhere close to where they need to be for the Suns to, to push for a title. And I think that's, 
the top line takeaway that I have coming out of these three games is we talk about a big four and the depth is only okay. The depth concerns are only manageable if you have genuinely three or four great players. The Suns have two right now. Yeah, and I, I think even if they're best, it's like you're going to have the top two and then you're going to have those other two that need to be in their own class. But like Paul's stat line in this game is 11 points, 5 of 18 from the field, 1 of 8 from 3, 0-2 from the line, 7 assists, f- 3 turnovers. He's not even like getting like 10, 11 turnovers against low assists to kind of like make up for maybe some of the shooting issues. And like the shot just doesn't look great like in book a great booker game overcomes it Durant being 11 of 11 from the free throw line and the sun's you know making 35 free throws in this game is really like kind of what maybe pushes that over and like i like the offensive rebounding stuff you know they got from Tori craig and others but they shouldn't have lost they shouldn't have won by five points right i mean it's like like you're saying that's enough to overcome it there shouldn't have needed to be an overcoming when the clippers don't have their two best Mm -hmm. players and guys like you know bones highland and you know, Terrence Mann are, are playing 20 plus minutes. You needed 42 out of Norm Powell. Like this game shouldn't have been where it was. And the reason it was is because those guys didn't play well enough. Aiton was uh, outside of a stretch where Durant was like spoon feeding him shots at the basket and trying to get his confidence back. Aiton was uh, a shell of himself on offense. He missed four free throws, including two late. Chris Paul also did uh, too late. They missed a combined four free throws in like the last two minutes of the game. Aiton was better on the offensive glass tonight, but still hasn't really made an impact defensively outside of a couple nice plays containing Kawhi Leonard in game two. And Chris Paul did shoot the ball more from deep, which has been a push from them, but missed them all. And so, yeah, I I, I just think too, like it's, it's not going to be sustainable. Even if Booker and Durant are able to be this great, you're not going to be able to play those guys 40 to 48 minutes a night throughout four playoff series and expect to win a title. So However you want to slice it, they need more from from Aiton and Paul. Otherwise, this this train is going to stop a lot sooner than they want it to. Which one do they need to be better right now? Like, which one matters more that that needs to be better? Uh, I think they're both pretty equal in terms of need. I think the most likely one to be better is probably Aiton because he's not 37 years old. And uh, also, Aiton can make an impact on both sides of the floor. Whereas even when Chris Paul's at his best defensively he's still going to be a liability because he's always been you know 511 and that can't really change and and now he's also 511 and and 37 so um it has to be Aiton and I think there is something of him in there it just has to be awoken I don't know what that takes uh that'll take me two hours and I think we should bring a therapist onto the show if we're going to have that conversation yeah, love a therapist bring the show. Uh, I would also gain, and especially because we have uh, potentially Nicole Jokic waiting in the wings for for these Phoenix Suns next round. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to Warriors Kings. This series is now two one. The Warriors win without Draymond Green. Uh, he was obviously suspended for his the incident the other day against uh, Demontis Bonus, where he kind of you know. Did the WWE stop after Sabonis pulled his legs? Sabonis did play after being listed as questionable with the, the sternum issue. Uh, um, he was going to play the whole time, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. Very yeah, silly. And look, I uh, here's the thing. There, there are two NBA players that are straight up just like WWE characters, and they are Draymond Green and Dylan Brooks. Patrick Beverly. 
Yeah, that's true. But Pat, like, it's just in terms of like being like beefy and kind of like bigger. It's true. like it's Draymond and Dylan Brooks. Yeah, Pat Bev would tear an ACL like, in one WWE match. He's a little thin. So I like who am I to say that? But like he is compared to NBA players. Yeah. So the Warriors, I, I, there, there's two ways I think you look at this game. You and actually were texting. We, we were texting and like planning and trying to prep for the show and. One of the things was like, okay, like I actually really like the Warriors process in this game. And the Kings also just happened to miss a ton of threes, which like is is maybe makes the process look better. I defensive think like the, process, there's like right? maybe some discord. Yeah, defensive process. The, the the one thing that I think is universally just true about this game is I think Kavon Looney really stepped up in a really, really massive way. He only has four points, right? But 31 minutes, 11 boards or 20 boards, excuse me, 11 on the defensive and nine on the offensive end. He had not hit nine assists. Against two turnovers, plus 21 for whatever single game plus minus is worth. I mean, they needed, he's like, he was like the number one guy you needed to step up in Draymond's absence. He did it. Um, a really, really great game from him. Another game where Sabonis um, isn't, you know, particularly great. 7 of 14, only two free throws, did have 16 boards, but only had four assists, had six turnovers. Looney was immense in this game. Uh, and the Warriors got what they needed. They yeah. needed this game. They needed to win without Draymond. The series was done if they didn't. And now they get they're going to get Draymond back. They're going to be at home. They have a chance to make this a series again against a team that hasn't been there before. And we're we're headed towards the really fun stuff as this continues here. Yeah, I'm excited. This is, I think, the most fun series. This game wasn't uh, great just because of how dominant the Warriors were. But you mentioned, obviously, Looney stepping up in place of Draymond because of the suspension. The the biggest, one of the biggest evolutions, I would say, with the Warriors over time as this dynasty has rolled on is the ability on offense for Looney to do a pretty damn good Draymond Green impression. And in this game, the Warriors, I thought, were a lot more simplistic and uh, direct about just let's run, pick, and roll and not mess around and allow ourselves to get behind before we start doing that. And and Looney being able to catch the ball in the short roll, make plays, you know, do dribble handoff, playmaking, and and really just be a pretty good semblance of, of what Green's role is in that offense is huge. And obviously when you have both of them out there, it's it's even nicer. But for one game, Looney was more than capable to step up because he's just repped it over time and seen what that takes and what that looks like. Is he Draymond Green in terms of the cross-court passes and finding Steph on the relocations and resetting the whole offense from the top of the key? No, but um, he's close enough in, in their very basic, simple offense to to do it, and, and that was huge for them. Um, on the Kings side, yeah, I'm, I, I'm confused about the Sabonis part of this because it almost feels like the shooter's not showing up in this series, which is now, you know... Now, when it's not 2-0 anymore, it starts to be more of a problem. But I think even through the first three games when those guys weren't making shots, I almost feel like Sabonis feels like it's his responsibility to get them going, and that's coming at the detriment of his own offense. That's kind of the best way I could wrap my head around it because it's not just that he's missing shots or anything. He's actually been fine because he's always super efficient. It's that he's turning the ball over too often at times, and then also just not being aggressive. Like there were, there were moments in this game because great, because Draymond was out where the Warriors had to play a lot of Jamichael green, who is just really not that good of an NBA player at this point in his career. He's on the older side and he's been around for a while. Never was a great athlete score on him, right? Like go post him up, bang into his chest, get a hook shot. And you're going to score like 
60% of the time when, if you want to, if you're DeMontis Sabonis, when Green is out there and he was still trying to set the table for other guys and kind of go about his business. And it's like, you guys are down double digits and you have a favorable matchup, go after it. Um, and that really surprised me. Um, but also too, look, the Warriors are better at home, like you've said, and everybody's said, we all know that. Specifically their transition defense. It's one of the weird things that people pulled up as they struggled on the road all year is their transition defense is just substantially better at home. No idea why. There's no statistical reason that that should make any sense. It's just like focus when you're on the road, just like you do when you're at home. That should fix it. It didn't fix it. But in this game, being at home, this, the Kings still ran just about as much as they have all series long. They ran on more than half of their defensive rebounds, which is crazy numbers. They ran on more than a quarter mm-hmm. of their possessions total. It was like 27%, I believe. And the Golden State transition defense just smothered everything. No Gary Payton in this game either. And, and everybody was able to show up, including some new newcomers in the rotation, and uh, and snuff that out. And so if Sabonis isn't going to be aggressive, the shooters aren't making shots, and the transition offense isn't there, it's not that hard to understand why the Kings only scored 97 points. Yeah. The, the thing with Sabonis that I wonder how much is throwing him is the Warriors are just completely sagging off of him, like whether he's at the elbow or like at, when he's at the, th- at the three-point line. And it just like clogs things up. And I wonder if that is part of this. It's just like that they are taking the extreme example of like, you can do your little DHOs. You can whip passes from there. We're going to track the shooters. And like, that is like a really, there's, there's not like an obvious counter unless the bonus is just going to barrel into the paint. And I don't really know if like, that's like even that feels very anti-Kings what this team's DNA is. And like that, that puts you in a tricky spot. I think if you're them, you probably just got to trust the process a little bit. And like, all right, Murray's probably not going to be one of five again. You know, Fox will probably have a better night. Herder, you know, Herder can be streaky, but like one of six, you, you're thinking he's probably going to have a game where he makes three or four. It just has to happen sooner rather than later. Um, the other thing I would say is that I think Wiggins looked really good. I think he looks like a little more adjusted. He was 8-16, 3-6 from 3. I think defended Fox pretty well, 7 boards. He looks like he's acclimated yeah. pretty well. And that we're, we're ha- and like I, I you know, I don't trust Poole. I think Poole is again pretty bad. Like I don't know exactly what you do there. Do you just play DiVincenzo even more? Do you play Moody more after Moody had I think a pretty decent game? Like do you play Kaminga more? Like, I know that's pandering, pandering to you, but like, do you just do something else to kind of move off of the pool minutes a little bit? But I, I Wiggins, I mean, another really good game. I would feel very good about where he's at as the series goes on. The series, as much as the Kings had the momentum coming out of games one and two, game four, if, if the Warriors tie this up, we're headed towards, we're headed towards fireworks down the stretch of this one. Absolutely. That there's no, I, and I, th- I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, probably. Um, the Kings, uh, you know, the obvious fix for them is is just to, you know, keep hammering the pick and roll and continue to try to get Draymond and Looney in, in foul trouble and everything else. But Draymond and Gary Payton being back is just going to make their defense better. And they already limited Sacramento to, to 97 points in this one. Um, as far as, yeah, I think the Warriors, out of that group, I feel like Kuminga would be my choice to to continue to play just because I do think he gives them an option on Monk and, and Fox that they need. And I think he's smart enough to make take advantage of the sagging off that the defense does. He also quietly made like mid-30s percentage of his threes. Is he going to be guarded? No. But if he can make wide open ones, which I think he can, I mean, he kind of proved that this year, then I think he should be okay. My bigger question is on the Kings side because 
Keegan Murray is basically doing nothing. 10 points in 54 minutes in this series. Kevin Herter is ice cold. Um, as somebody who bet him over 14 and a half points today, and he had 13, I was pretty disappointed. He's three of 20 from deep. And so I wonder if we see finally the Kings make the chess move of, of a lineup change in game four here. Um, probably not Herter. I think it, it would be a little too early to bail on him because he's still aggressive. And I think defensively, he's because of his size and reads the floor pretty well. I don't think he gets like super lost very often. He just you know has athletic disadvantage. I think it'd probably be Murray. And if it's me, I start Malik Monk, Chris, because I just think the the key to the series is going to be outscoring Golden State. You're not going to stop them. So yeah, I just go Monk, and he didn't play well tonight. That's a big reason they lost. But just just overpower on offense, and and you know he'll help them run. He gives them another ball handler. He gives them another shooter. That's what I would do. And I wonder if we see Mike Brown do that because he's given up on Murray. He's he's kind of giving him the spot start, and that's it. Um, why bother with that? Just just make the change. The other thing, the last thing we'll say about this game is uh, Kings corner of the clean of the glass had an offensive rating of 97. It's very bad. It's like very low for them. Warriors, 90, Warriors weren't even average. They were 118.8. They were just better. The Kings only had one game in the regular season that was worse than the offensive rating they had in this game. That was on December 11th at the Knicks. They lost that game. 112 to 99 had an offensive rating of 95.1. Yeah. They just got to start making their threes at some point. Like they can't keep winning games, not making those shots. You know, game one, they got to the free throw line a ton. Game two, the Warriors offense just fell off. But if the Warriors are going to score and they get their rotation figured out, you got to bring your A game. And that means the best lineups from the jump and, you know, doing something to get your shooters going. I mean, they're getting wide open looks. I'm not sure how much more you can do, but they have to make them. Yeah, we could just throw our hands up and say variance and and we'll call it a day. All right, let's uh let's stay let's go to the east for a second. Cavs Knicks. This will kick off game three is Friday. Um in at MSG. This is the other series that I think is headed towards a long run here, Brendan. Um I, coming out of game two, here's kind of what stands out to me. Number one, I think Darius Garland was great. I think I loved how Cleveland has adjusted. Lavert is they're having Karis Lavert and others set screens to create more openings for their guards. It's kind of beating the traps on the other end. They are trapping the hell out of Jalen Brunson and the Knicks really struggled with it. There was a moment in this game um, <laughs> where they trapped Brunson and he got Mitchell Robinson. They got the free throw line and Mitchell Robinson like glitched out. Like he looked like a video game character on like a where in your Xbox 360 you got like the rendering of death and you're just like, oh boy. And your, your character is just like glitching out in the middle of the screen. They did not know what to do. Him and him and Obi Toppin had a lot of possessions there where they just like looked very very uncomfortable. Um, I, I think that all of those adjustments and how good Cleveland looked in Game Two I think bodes well for them. But I think as this goes back to New York, Levert's going to have to make some shots, and I and I think you need to see how if how the Danny Green stuff continues. Well, I really like the minutes he gave Cleveland in Game Two. I think he defended up really well on Julius Randle. You know, I think you'll get better quickly games and some other games from some of the role guys back in New York. He's kind of been absent in the series in a way that I think is kind of alarming for the Knicks. Um, but I Cleveland had a really good game too. Out of like of the two wins, like I think their win was the more impressive of the two because it just kind of got dominant at times. And it came without Mitchell having it came with Mitchell in a real distributor role, which is the exact thing you're like, okay, does Mitchell like maybe dominate the ball too much? Does he try to score too much? Is that kind of like a flaw? And he kind of did the thing you kind of would hope to see him do on a network. Garland was great. Yeah, I think Darius Garland reminded everyone that he's a game plan breaker, 
right? In his own way. He's somebody that is going to destroy your drop coverage. He is somebody that is going to attack a switch if you if you switch on him. You know, obviously there are options to blitz and and trap him and do all that, but Donovan Mitchell is there, right? And so you we've they've they've gone to these guard guard screens throughout the series. That's an easy fix. You know, the ball swings to another guard who can then attack, right? It's like there's a reason these guys fit so well together. There's a reason that they had a a great regular season. And I think the other thing is like the Cavs fifth guy is just going to have to be Karis Levert for better and worse. Maybe not the abs, the actual fifth closing player. I'm not saying they should start him. I'm just saying he is going to have to be their fifth best player, uh, a consistent option for them, for them to win. Um, they have a plus 5.2 net rating with him on the court in this series so far. I'm sure a lot of that was game two. It's only 56 minutes. It's obviously only two games, but that is, uh, is just highlights the importance that he has. Um, to me on the Knicks side, it feels like this is kind of the worst that the Knicks shooters will look game two. Um, nobody looked very good and, you know, whether it's just going home whether it is being ready for Brunson to get trapped, whatever the case may be, it feels like those guys should be able to get in rhythm and make shots. They have shooters, right? I know a lot of them are young. You mentioned quickly. Grimes is another one. Toppin is another one. I think sometimes the hot potato and then, you know, all of a sudden the ball is in the hands of a guy going through his first playoff run and he has to make a big shot. That's not always fun, but I have to trust what what they did during the regular season, and they do have enough shooting, even if it's not the me- the best you know shooting team in the NBA. I think they'll they'll bounce back there. So I tend to agree. I think this will go long. Um, at some point, it would be nice for Randall to to get some rest, but I guess this playoff schedule is just pretty unforgiving. I guess you know you kind of just have to hope that he doesn't turn it over, or miss too too many shots. But I don't know if you can expect him to be much better. I think it's really the shooting to me. Also, Evan Mobley has him like very much struggling in terms of Jared Allen. And and I think Allen and Mobley were much, much better in game two. The physicality they brought, I think, really resonated. But Randall's like not gonna have an easy time. I think quickly really is the X factor for for the Knicks because I, I think they need another ball handler to take the pressure off of Brunson. I don't think Randall can be the valve for them that you might ex- you kind of would want or expect him to be just based on uh, the Mobley matchup and, and the Allen stuff. And I think the way they're defending him is really good. And it's just, I, I haven't felt like there are times Brennan, where like I'm in person and like that can be more dizzying than watching in real time, but it just doesn't, you kind of like lose track of quickly for a little bit to me. And it's just like, I, I don't think that can happen if they are going to be a team that advances or be a team that makes a series go really long. It just doesn't like, I'm going to, I'm pulling up the box score from, from game two here. So uh, quickly played 23 minutes. I don't think that's enough frankly i think he's got to just play more more than grimes you know i i would i think especially more than rj barrett who who's been god awful in this series and i don't really know what he does i like he they're they're having him go like they're having him guard um darius garland and he's just getting cooked he has no chance he is and he's defending mitchell he has no chance he does not do anything to really alter those guys he had zero assists on four or thirteen shooting in game two, what is RJ Barrett who, doing? Like I understand quickly, who has the more regrettable contract between RJ Barrett and Jordan Poole? I mean, probably Jordan Poole because it's like a lot more money, isn't it? Like no, I I, is, I, isn't I, I think like, that I think RJ is making more money. 
RJ is like 30. RJ is, oh no, RJ is 4107. So 27 annually, a million annually, basically. Um, And Jordan Poole is four for 128. So you're right. It is more for Poole. I I thought it was more for for RJ. But I mean, it's close enough. I, I, I guess you just go with the guy who makes more money. But I think Poole has more skill overall. He just only plays one side of the court. But like, there's some of those games where RJ, like you just said, it's like, it's just hard to really know outside of being big what he's really doing. Whereas at least Poole is going to be doing something. It just might be bad for you. I don't know. I think the answer is probably they both regret it a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Barrett needs to, you probably got to get him down to like 25, 20 minutes, like just real drastic play. You got to play quickly more. And I think you need quickly to, to be more aggressive. I Like he had 12 points. He only took eight shots. Like I think he has to take a lot of the pressure um, off of off of Brunson and and take some of the ball handling pressure off of Brunson to kind of like throw different looks at Cleveland. Like you can, if Cleveland's going to trap this hard, the counter is put the ball in in your other guard's hand and have them attack. They also need Josh Hart, I think, to be much better than he was. He was not good in game two, the ankle injury. He looked like he moved okay early, but was the ankle an issue? I would probably suspect yes. He he played twenty seven minutes was a minus 29 did not look like like was not crashing the offensive glass the same way maybe i think cleveland deserves some credit for that as well that he did like muck up the offensive glass even and and cause some of the chaos he did in game one but he's gonna have to be better particularly like you just need barrett alternatives and heart would be one quickly would be the other one and they, and they then have to adjust to the traps I, I i still think this is going seven um would not be surprised if cleveland gets one of these two but i i there's some like road games, Brendan. Like I would, I don't like mind that I don't get to travel and, and cover every game because like it's it is like kind of it can be exhausting. Game three at MSG just feels like it's going to be. Yeah, if it, go, if it gets to a game six at MSG would be very good too. Um, yeah, I think it is going to be a long series. I think it's one though where if the Cavs can continue to to just be decisive about what they want to poke at on when they're on offense and then just, you know, rebound and take care of business defensively. They should be able to win this because I do think Randall is, is limited and, you know, now Hart potentially limited. Their shooters aren't making shots. The young guys haven't really stepped up. Like this is leaning in Cleveland's favor, but they have to keep, you know, their, their foot on the gas. They can't just get into that game one rhythm of like, all right, you know, we'll kind of, feel it out and then Mitchell will save us and whatever. That's not going to, that's not going to work unless you want to go seven and have to deal with, you know, a young team winning a game seven, which you don't want to put yourself in that situation. Um, Do you want to move to Lakers Grizzlies? Yeah, let's move on to, um, is this the most dramatic, like not in a basketball sense, but is this like the most like series, like with drama? I guess Uh, it, it was, Dramatic that the Lakers didn't I mean, take care of business, um, and well, we don't know if Jaw will yeah, play. Yes, yes. I, I look. The, the th- I this is the only thing I really want to say about the LeBron Dylan Brooks stuff. I have two. I have two points about this. When LeBron James calls someone a bum, that is when it's like he does not. That is like LeBron James is like, I don't like you. Comment and he called Dylan Brooks a mother effing bum. If you lip read yeah. that exchange, when Dylan Brooks is like clapping in his face, um. Number two, Dylan Brooks's comments post game are like very funny. I don't, I don't like that. I the I, deadpan the thing. is the best I, part. He's just old. It's like, did, uh, yeah, you're right. You're not wrong, Dylan. And the foot, look, I think the, the foot stuff. Like, there's there's two three times a game where you look at LeBron and I think if his foot is correct, he's like dunking or doing something else, and it's just like okay. I mean, like, Windhorse said basically just, like 
it, it he kind of should have surgery, right? I mean, yeah. So and he's and he's this is this is the first time in the entire time I've watched LeBron James that I've ever felt like it's like oh boy, this is like a little. It's not quite like the Kobe like late Laker stuff, but it's like his version of that maybe. I mean, it's pretty similar to 2021. I think it was a hamstring then, but um, you know, Anthony Davis went out against the Suns in that first round series and you Wait, Brennan, Brennan. I just got to I got to tell you. So I'm, I have the the post game up and this is going to flip back to Suns Clippers. How do you feel about Kevin Durant wearing a Arizona Diamondbacks? Looks like a world, like a throwback World Series, like fitted cap. Oh, he's been wearing it. This like yeah. he's embracing the. Oh, this he's is embracing the team. Yeah, he he's been. He went to a, a game recently. Sat very uh, right behind the net, uh, behind home plate, and he's a big Corbin Carroll fan. Our our young center field oh, prospect. Why don't you? You're a Padres fan, though. Yeah, I did say hour there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still allowed. I have, I have hometown claim. Okay. If I, if I decide to to flex into Diamond, they're actually playing each other this weekend, and um, so it's kind of funny. But are, are, are you gonna, are you gonna do like the split? Can you get like a split jersey? That's that's too much. All right, no, that's so a, that's aggressive. Um, that's, no, I'm not a mama Kelsey. So I think it's similar to that 2021 series with LeBron needing to pick his spots and needing to. Um, hold back and I think you know you look at game two and it's like Anthony Davis going four of 14 is is the obvious place that you look um but there's this element that I, I think the the Grizzlies without jaw has been this kind of overdone narrative in my opinion that there's some sort of force to be reckoned with because they just step up when jaw isn't playing I'm not sure a lot of what happened in game two is super rec- replicable to me, um, especially Xavier Tillman. I do not think we see uh-huh. Tillman score that well again. The Lakers are going to be ready for him. He was slipping screens in the half court, getting easy uh, you know, drop passes and, and lobs that way. He was running the floor in transition. The Lakers have been a good transition defense since the All-Star break. They did not play well in that regard um, uh, in game two. And Tillman was a beneficiary of a lot of that. I think that goes away. Maybe Jaw does play, and that obviously would help. But but like Jaron wasn't great. It was just honestly the big surprise was just Tillman stepping up. And it's like, are we really counting on that to happen every single night? No. And then similar to the Knicks, the Lakers role players didn't shoot the ball well. And to me, when I look at that, did you realize Malik Beasley, who has not made an impact in any of these games yet, including the play-in. This year, November was the only month that he shot better than 35% from three. He has not had a good shooting season. This is not last year where he was bombing like 15 a game and making 40 plus percent. He has not been that guy. I kind of wonder if you try Lonnie Walker again in the rotation over him because at the very least, Walker's going to be able to do more with the ball when he does get it rather than just spot up threes. That's really all Malik Beasley is at this point. And if he's not making them, then he's really nothing out there and he's not going to be a great defender. Whereas Lonnie Walker is a pretty good defender. And so I wonder if, if that could be a little bit of a switch because the Grizzlies do have waves of guys. They have multiple people who can handle the ball. They have uh, a system that's built on, you know, attacking the second side and trying to move the ball and uh, work at different mismatches and all that stuff. Lonnie being a more versatile defensive piece could help them. And he's, been you know a league average three points shooter especially when he's open i think he would make those shots so i think that's a, a switch we might see as well because beasley's just not giving them anything right now 
Yeah, and look, they they need also more from Angelo Russell. Like he was objectively very bad in this game. I I, I got a like a, a kind of a fun laugh out of him saying I'm not a point guard on this team. And it's like yes, D'Angelo, that's correct. That's some good self awareness on your part. I don't know how like has he been a point guard a on any team? One. Um, he's he's a he was a point guard when he passed the phone out of the window in that commercial. I was making fun of the snapchat thing if you remember that yeah. that commercial he did with cat and book yeah um that's the only time he's really he's a he's guard. a score that's all that he is and he's not doing that too well right now two of 11 in game two one of five from three zero free throws i'm if brother I, I don't know what you're doing i don't know how we ended up as a plus one in that game but he but he did so sure so game plus he minus plays with the starters is, all the time inc- yeah, but LeBron's like a minus seventeen, and Davis was a minus four. And I know they played heavier minutes, but Russell played thirty. Like, just funny. Um, yeah, I mean, like I think Hachimura has been really good for them in the series. I would you got to keep writing that. You probably need a little more to Schroeder as well. I I like the I like the Lonnie Walker call. I I think that's like a smart way to go. I think I, I I'm I to bring it back to LeBron. I think. If this if LeBron has it in him, I think he's dropping forty in game three and Dylan Brooks's head in LA. But we need to see what he if he has it. Like it just that that to me is like the the big thing. Um I'm curious that he was one of eight from three. He's settling a lot. Like hit the only kind of looks he's really taking in this game, it's there's not a lot of drives, there's not a lot of attacking. It is like he's getting the ball in the post and he's getting doubled and the the points are kind of coming hard from there. He's not even drawing like a lot of he only took four free throws in this game. Like he's not drawing a ton of contact. No, the and only then, time he attacks even, is in like, transition at this point. And that's been the case yeah, for I yeah. mean, before the foot. But but it's like even more I think exaggerated now and then he settles for these threes and if that's not going in if the, if the foot's hampering that that's a real problem and it and it takes away from his passing I think. You know, he's one of the best passers ever. And he had three assists. Like, he's not generating those kind of looks. I haven't looked at potential assists or anything like that. But you're getting a compromised LeBron. And there's got to be, like, a maybe there's got to be ways around it. Maybe, like, it'll just figure itself out. Maybe, like, he can just pick and choose his spots. But that's a really hard way to play. Even if the Grizzlies don't have jaw. And, like, you know, he's getting guarded by David Roddy, who I really like. But it's like David Roddy is a rookie who makes a lot of defensive mistakes, particularly in a team defense context. Like there's at least two, three times a game where he thinks the double's coming and he misses it, or he just like the the positioning with his frame isn't quite right against a big guy. Like he he has to. Le, you, LeBron would normally crush this. Like LeBron would usually just get him into foul good. trouble, right? Well, yeah, and even with Brooks, it's like 2018. I think is like a good kind of comparison to this. It's like he in that series had to do a ton, and it was like okay, we're gonna have to grind this out. And the Pacers, that Pacers team is not as good as this Grizzlies team. So I, w- I want to make that clear. But like he spent a ton of that series guarded by Bojan Bogdanovic. And he just had to grind him out in the post, deal with the physicality. He took a ton of free throws. He made a ton of tough fadeaway jumpers. He made a ton of tough shots at the rim. And he dominated the game in the half court. If if LeBron was up for it, he could do that in this series. But it just doesn't feel like he has that gear right now. And like that's a real problem for the Lakers. I mean, I... You have AD, so like certainly that lessens maybe the need for that. But AD has to be better than he was in Game Two, and maybe like you know LeBron took twenty three shots, AD took fourteen. Does that gap have to get to something more like twenty twenty, something a little more even? And AD probably needs to get to the line more as well. I think that's all fair. I think that AD. they'll. I feel like they should win Game Three. Um, this felt this this one felt a little fluky to me. 
on both sides. Um, I don't think you're getting that bad of a Davis performance again, just like I don't think you're getting that good well, of a Tillman off, performance. Off, I mean, offensively, I mean, I know Tillman had a bunch of points, but AD has been, like, incredible in defense. Five blocks, like, in both games. Like, I think he's been, like, a really, really good defender for much of this series. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they need him to be, I mean, they need Indiana him to be the best the player fire. on the team. They need him to be the focal point on offense yeah. and uh, an anchor on defense. Because Vanderbilt's one of those guys... It's going to be night to night if he's if he's going to be able to play. I mean, he's he's they can get him to 20 minutes a game, but there's some lineups out there where you really notice when guys aren't making shots. It's like there's just not enough spacing to to justify putting Vanderbilt out there because he's going to have to be in the dunker spot or he's going to be in the corner and just not guarded or whatever the case may be. So uh, they they need kind of all the components on offense to really work. That's why I think. Just switch Beasley out. And even if it just sends him a message of like, hey, brother, you don't just, you know, you're not owed this. Like, you got to you gotta do your job here. You haven't been making shots. That's kind of all you're out here to do. Um, I have a couple Nuggets Timberwolves thoughts. Can we close there? Can I? Yeah, I want to just one last thing on, on the Grizzlies. I just want to ask you, do you have a, are there like random guys that they just have filling minutes? Because they like lead the league in developmental stuff with some of these randoms. Do you have like a favorite of their like, Right, a bench guys like I mean John Contra had like an amazing block in this game, but like do you have a favorite of like their randoms? I really believe in Zaire Williams. I also think it's rude you're calling them randoms. Um, but I do. Look, I'm, I do. I'm president of the Big Body David Roddy fan club, so that yeah. that's my answer. I believe in Zaire Williams. I think he's had a rough go, um, in terms of even dating back to Stanford, like injuries, and he's not the most aggressive guy. And then it feels like every time that he's starting to get into a rhythm offensively, he gets hurt or gets out of the rotation or whatever. But, um, you know, a three and D forward who's like 6'10", uh, sign me up for that. I think he could be a real difference maker, but he's not playing right now. So I guess uh, Taylor yeah, Jenkins doesn't agree to, with me. Yeah, he just, just with me. Give me the thick jit. Give me thick and strong David Roddy. Let's ride. Love David Roddy. All right, let's... Uh, and Kenneth Lofton Jr. Love just Jake Laravia looks the, like he's the, the just... 15 and a half. Also, I don't know if you've watched him this year. His body, <laughs> look, I don't have an athletic body by any means either, but like that dude does not look like an NBA player right now. But I think he can be pretty good too because he's just a really good shooter. Yeah. All right. Let's move. What What are your thoughts on, on Nuggets uh, Timberwolves? I mean, this is just exactly what you want a one seed to look like in the first round. I just think the Denver Nuggets yeah. deserve a lot of credit here. Like they had all the questions coming in. They're kind of being overlooked and people are talking, you know, the Lakers people. Yeah. I know it's media. I know it's, it's, it's the Lakers and you just say their name and, and you get, you know, 2 million views on your ESPN YouTube channel and all that stuff. But like, I think it was genuine, a genuine argument to be made that the Lakers had this easy path and the Warriors had this easy path and the Suns are the favorite and all this. And it's like, Denver just came out here. Did you realize this is the first time in the Malone Jokic era that they've been up two Oh in a series? In the first round, I'm sorry. I think I guess it nope. would probably be any no. series, but it, it was the first round for sure. No, but that feels right. Yeah, they've had a bunch of hellish series and injuries and all this stuff. And um, Minnesota right now just doesn't have enough offensively to match Denver when Murray and Porter are scoring like this. And obviously Murray is at another level, but honestly, we've seen this from him before. It's not like unexpected. It's super great and like impressive and he deserves a lot of credit, but... We know these guys can do this, and Minnesota just can't match it with the injuries they have and the roster built the way it is and Cat not playing well. It's like kind of feels like a, an unfair battle right now. I mean, I know it's going back to Minnesota. Maybe they steal a game, but Denver can and probably should sweep this. 
Yeah, like Ant's performance the other night was spectacular. Like he he was great, but like it's just like not enough. And Jamal Murray is playing like really, really, really well again. And that to me is highly, highly encouraging that Murray looks like this. You know, he had some ups and downs in the regular season. He had times where he looked healthy, times he did not. And he looks really healthy and good right now. And and you're right. I think this is for a one seed that is going to have some challenges, I think, stylistically, probably against the Suns in round two. Like, this is about as good as you could want them to look going into that matchup. They're going to get time to game plan, time to drill stuff. Like, they're going to get that advantage if they just continue to take care of business here. And, like, look, they, like the, the town stuff, he just has not been good defensively. He's been kind of a disappointment in this series. I, Brendan, like, there, there was a time where, like, before Yoko joined in this MVP run, that it was, like, these were, like, two of, like, they were kind of looked at, I think, on the same tier. And then Jokic has just descended into this other class of guy. And Towns is, like, you you wonder kind of what you do with Towns to me. Like, like that is Ant's team. These kind of performances remind me that that is Ant's team. And the future of the Wolves is about how anything could accentuate it's Anthony Edwards. Like, this anymore. is all this reminds me of. It's not even close. No, it wasn't close. Was, this was true last this wasn't true to me last year, but now like we're just we're just it is just like an ink carved in stone. Like it is just like a fact now. It just makes like I I I don't I think Towns gets piled on, but it's like you just watch how little progress he's made defensively, and it is a genuine like I'm saying this from a place of wanting him to succeed. Like when he is playing at his best, there are not a lot of players more fun to watch than him in the league. He's he's a unicorn. He's one of the first guys that that we thought really could be this two way versatile difference maker at the center spot coming up he was crowned when he was like 16 years old as the the next coming of Hakeem or whatever he was going to be and like I want all that for him but he just has not improved defensively and I think at this point you just got to say he is what he is and um it's it just makes it all the more frustrating the early stuff in the season when he's calling out Ant publicly about his eating habits and all this stuff and it's like I don't know what's going on there but it is it it's not becoming of a player who has so many limitations and holds his team back in certain ways to be criticizing other players on top of the dynamic you're talking about that ant came along later and is already better it's just like it it creates an uncomfortable position for everybody and i do think that that they're probably going to have to think about if if this is the future of their team because i know denver's a great team but it's who you have to beat if you're going to win championship, which should be the goal, right? Um, I am bummed we didn't get Jaden McDaniels in this series, though, on a separate note, because the idea of him guarding Murray and then being able to switch on to Jokic in the two-man game and like just him blowing up some of the Denver action, I do think would have made a difference in this series, especially in transition where he's a difference maker. Like That sucks, and I I don't want to forget that they're missing you know their best two-way player on the wing, but still, they should be Town specifically should be putting up more of a fight. He can't have like 15 and 12 in a playoff game when he's supposed to be. He's a max guy. Rule of thumb, everyone out there, um, don't punch the wall when you're angry. Never a good idea. You either break your own property or you hurt yourself or both. Yeah. Don't punch things when you're angry. I know like Cuddy said in a song once and that sounds cool, but it's, it's pretty dumb. All right, let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brendan Clean. Please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice if you have not already. Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser are behind the production magic on this one. As always, we'll be back on Monday with more.
more playoff pass away jam pack weekend we get two Cavs next game in between now and then we get another Suns game like there, there's a ton of stuff to come Lakers Grizzlies you know, 10 that's like, like the Sunday 10 10 p.m. and then I get to we get the Cavs next Sunday at one I mean sign me up this is the best time of year as Brendan said a couple episodes ago this is March Madness for adults for adults <laughs> and uh, we should if uh, if we could put that on a t-shirt I would very much like to do that or at least a hat you know like a t-shirt and then like a just basketball hat that sounds like like process in the arm if you listen this far get it going on it all right talk to everybody soon have a good one enjoy the hoops